I don't know, is that is talking about the legal stuff worse or is dealing with the vendors worse? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. There's equal suckiness. Yeah, it's true. And you have to talk to more people, I feel like. I don't think so. Really? Well, he talks to more agents, probably. All right. That's actually, this is actually good stuff for the podcast and shit. Yeah, true. We always do Bullshit that. around. Yeah. You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. The podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I am an associate broker with Arla Ad Properties. And I'm Sarah Frank. I'm a realtor licensed in Maryland and DC, also on the District Invest Group with Russell. And this week we're talking with our, one of our big boss men, the, one of the owners of our brokerage. Uh, Justin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys. Well, thanks for having me here. I have questions for both of you. Um, I work for Russell and Sarah at Arla at Properties. Yeah, in some sense, that's true, right? Bro- it is. Right? Yeah. Some people view the brokerage as you work for the brokerage, but other brokerages view it as you're providing a service to your clients who are the agents. Well, yeah, you guys are my clients, and uh, I work for you. But I, I think you guys expect me to do some boss type stuff. Well, yeah, and we still want your approval and tell us you're proud of us. <laughs> well, you will get that. <laughs> we I'm, all I'm, want that. I'm very proud of both of you. <laughs> well, isn't that what Yay. the uh, real estate industry is largely built around is giving people nice pats on the head. Here's, oh, yeah. your, here's yeah. your little award. Here's your little graphic. Mm-hmm. His parents never told him enough. So yeah. mm-hmm. we're good at that. <laughs> That's the best part. So you and Jason work together to lead Arla. We were just talking about this before we started recording, but what is kind of your, Jason's like very the legal side of things, and you are, how would you describe your role? Well, you know, he's the CEO, I'm the president. I guess those are our titles. We have a lot of overlapping stuff. Um, I mean, he's great with the legal and contract stuff. I probably focus more on brokerage operations than he does, but he still does some of that too. Um we have a good enough partnership where we know what each other do, but it, I do see a lot of times agents get confused and they kind of figure it out like, oh, I'm going to go to Justin for this or Jason for that. I, I get called weekly with contract questions, but that's not my thing. Yeah. my When I have a question on who to go to, it's usually whoever's in the office. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're never going to give you a dead end when you come to us. It's usually like, oh, that's great. Sometimes I say, here's what I think, but you should definitely run that by Jason. Right, because you used to be an agent, but now you're in this, you're a little disconnected from the market in terms of selling, but you're very connected in terms of, you know what's going on. You're who gives us the updates at the sales meetings. I was just, I wasn't there for the October one, so I was listening to it on the way in. So you're really in the know about the data and how we are interacting with our buyers and sellers. Yeah, good point. So I, I did sell. I was an agent for really only five years until I went into management. Jason never sold. He was a title attorney for nine years. And so both different experiences. Uh, but Jason's never been on a listing appointment and he's never brought buyers around to houses. So he knows his contracts and and that stuff. But that whole other part of the business, I think, is where I come in. You know, it's interesting, right? Because 
there's very different skill sets in being an agent versus being a broker. But in order to become a broker, in most cases, maybe not in Jason's because he started off as a lawyer, you actually have to be in sales for a certain amount of time. In many states, you even have to sell a minimum amount of properties before you come, be, can become a broker. But they're completely different uh, skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Th- well, if you think about it, there's so many like small brokerage shops. It's like a one or two. They're really acting as agents. Mm-hmm. So I agree with your point, but I think that running a large brokerage is, is very a different, different skill set. Very yeah. different skill set than being an agent. If you were so many small brokerages are are the equivalent to a team. And that's no disrespect. Those are great things, but that, and I think you probably know the stats too, but what does MLS and like our associations say that the most common thing out there is a, is a brokerage of two. Yeah. And uh, in our area, for whatever reason, the small brokerages all tend to be in uh, DC proper. And then the large brokerages make up much of the suburbs, which I think is an interesting dynamic. I don't think there's any particular reason for that, but Mm-hmm. Just kind of weird. Well, what are we? Are we a small brokerage, medium brokerage? Well, I was just going to ask you. So you've been with Arlo a few years, not a ton. Yeah, Some maybe agents. three years or so. Yeah. So we're not the oldest brokerage in town. I and mean, you've seen, obviously, you founded it. So you've seen the whole life cycle. How is it different now managing what it was when it first started versus now, obviously, with app properties, acquisition, merger, whatever it is? Like, How does it kind of look different than it did when you started? Mm-hmm. Well, when it started, we had plastic picnic tables. Um, and couldn't really, didn't know if we were paying our bills. I mean, it was true startup type thing. Yeah. Um, biggest difference for me, which has been, uh, I guess a learning experience that I, I'm kind of proud of is, is scaling from that. I never would have told, we, we, I think we have 430 something agents today. I never back then would have said that I wanted to have a brokerage that large. Is that part of the reason you were attracted to the idea of working with app properties was because they kind of help with the framework of continuing to scale? I think a lot of it was that. I think, you know, they're also another partnership that's about 10 years older than... Uh, I saw a lot of similarities in what they, what Mike and Thad had done. Um, yeah, different market, but still a big market. They did a lot of cool things that I thought, man, I wish I would have done that a few years ago and looking at partnering up with them it wasn't necessarily to emulate them, but for some of the stuff that they had done, it fast forwarded our growth. In my mind, I thought, Hey, we're, let's just say if we're 10 years behind them, man, if we join with them, like maybe we're only four or five years behind what they've done. And What's a good example of something you saw that they were, that they had done previous that you were like, wow, that's really cool. Um, where to begin with that? You know, I think the attention to marketing, I had, I've, I've always been into marketing for the brokerage and I want us to always like raise it to a higher level. Uh, the emphasis and the financial investment that they put into the marketing for their firm and for their agents, it was like relentless. It was like one of the top priorities for them. And it, kind of was like a light bulb moment for me and Jason. I remember both of us thinking like, we just have to do what we know is best. Well, you know, that's very interesting. You you point that out specifically, right? So a lot of brokerages, particularly in the larger space, 
are terrible at marketing. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the past two decades, the co- the couple of companies that came out of nowhere to take over the space at Properties and Compass are fantastic at marketing, right. fantastic at creating a, a brand, right? And so that's something that's not, you know, nothing against the other brokerages, but no one says like, oh man, brokerage XYZ, they're really killing it at marketing. You never say that about it anyone other than maybe at properties and compass and right. maybe a few small places smaller than that. And a lot of that I feel from, from a very newcomer perspective has to do with embracing the technology component and mm-hmm. at properties I know that's huge and one of the reasons you guys had said was a great reason to join. Them being 10 years in, you said to they've been around 10 years longer than Arla. So yeah, so that's about 12 20 years, years. Yeah. 12 years older than us. Okay. So probably like half of that time was them trying to build up these really robust systems anyway. So you probably joined at the right time cuz you getting on right as they're kind of polishing all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, probably. And that's back to like the growing pains that we've gone through. I mean, there's so many iterations of stuff we built and then I I have to quietly like put it to rest and then bring in something else. You spend and, two years on a project that really sucks at the end yeah. and you're like, man, oh, all, all right, let's move on. Yeah. All the time. And yeah. I think you have to be comfortable with, I don't think a lot of people are comfortable with doing that. I have a lot of no good ideas. Yeah. What um, What is it? Sunk cost fallacy, right? Like people are committed to continuing to build on that mistake because they have that fallacy that believe that they'll, they'll write the ship instead of just Moving on and, you know, and yeah. that's not just a brokerage problem, right? That's just a business problem in general. Like, it is. Um, big businesses, small businesses. Well, and with vendors, it's so hard, too, because you have, I feel like Arla is very diverse in the age of the agents and backgrounds, et cetera. I feel like when you launch a new software partnership, it's just anarchy for a few weeks. Like, ha- everyone hates it. Everyone loves it. Like, there's no making everyone happy. So it's got to be hard to pick what you think are vendors that fit into your vision for the business, but also make the agents happy and want to stay. Totally. It is. I think I want to get feedback from the agents before we make some big investment like that. But these enterprise deals are not cheap and they're not short term. Yeah. So, you know, an agent a lot of times can say, I'm going to try this new CRM. We, we can't do that mm-hmm. at the brokerage level. It's we're all in. Uh, you might get tomatoes thrown at you early on. And you have some people that at first impression, say never again, no, and they're out for good. And you have to kind of wade through that and find different ways to integrate it. I also don't want to force anyone to use any of our stuff. I don't think we ever expected 100% adoption on anything. Um, Even 50% adoption, I think, is like way optimistic. What do you usually view as a successful adoption rate for some new thing that you're bringing in? I'm sure there's industry numbers in Thirty-five percent adoption of something to me is pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, but a lot of what a lot of the restructuring we've had to do over the past couple of years is—I probably talked to you about it before—is we have contracts where you pay per agent head mm-hmm. on some of these tools. Well, then thirty-five percent adoption isn't cool. Yeah, because you're paying a hundred percent. So how do you restructure that? And also, I, I don't want to pay for anything unless I truly believe it's going to be beneficial and make more money for at least half the brokerage, whether or not they use it or not. Yeah, I mean, the same questions, right, present themselves at the MLS level, at the they association do. levels. Yeah. Right, so I remember a couple of years ago, everyone got upset that um, Bright MLS had gotten rid of Remine, and there was just huge anger all over the internet about it. 
And the reason that Bright got rid of it is because the adoption rate was something like two to three percent. Right. And that two to three percent are just two to three percent had logged into Remind within the last year. So not that they're using it on a daily basis, but only three percent of agents had logged in within a year. Right. And you know, so so many people upset, well, but no one was using it. Right. But and we're all paying that huge cost to get that product. Whether um, or not you know you're paying for it or not. Right. Because you know, you're paying it for it somewhere. in an increased subscription rate, which now they get rid of that, can use that money for better things. And so I look at that move. I, I bet Bright MLS doesn't regret that. No, not, um, not I, one I, bit. Well, I, I think they don't regret taking that on as like a offering because MLSs are just constantly ragged on, you know, yep. they're constantly ragged on for not having good technology. And so anything they can bring in that shows, oh, we're at a different level. Yeah, I always think it's interesting because uh, I belong to a few MLSs. So when I, I think our MLS, as well as the ones that are based on the same software, which is um, Core Logics Matrix, yeah. I think that they're the best offering in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I see people complaining, I'm like, they've clearly never used a non-matrix MLS because they are so much worse. Right. I have Texas MLS. <laughs> I like how ugly ours is. It reminds me of like um, <laughs> Word, like not, no, like early Excel, you know, yeah. like early Microsoft where it's like very high contrast or you can see all the buttons. There's no fancy anything. Love that. I hope it never changes. <laughs> we need like a little paperclip helper guy to pop up. Like that Clippy. one era. Yeah, Clippy. Oh, yeah, a little help thing. Yeah. Maybe a little bef- before me, but I think <laughs> I came in a sentience around like Word 2007. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember paint. Yeah. That gets, some people remember that, but apparently uh, there was paint before paint. And I don't know. It's I, don't know like, I still use paint. <laughs> you don't use Canva? I, don't I use paint. Canva too. There's, but yeah. Oh, I have a MacBook, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. Can't be the Russell has an Android. He can't be trusted. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's Green no way. Text. There's no way. Sixty percent of the population are Android users. Just you, keep telling yourself that. Apple's They're all in the minority. And population where? In the in United it, States. Okay. In the DMV? Yeah, uh, yeah probably. He just surveyed his friend group. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, since facts don't matter, we're just going to make our own survey right. for confirmation bias. Oh, you know what they say, right? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Ugh. Right. Yeah. Speaking of which, you're a stats guy. Okay. I'll go with it. You're Get always it. you're always throwing the stats at, at us. At Arla, I am the stats guy. Yeah. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take that title. So- a lot of people think this is a tough market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get any stats for us? Why is a tough market? Why it's, or maybe why why it's not as bad of a market as people are like to cry about? I could cry about it or cheer about yep. it. I guess because just like you alluded to on stats, I can look at it different ways. But I mean, my my true thoughts. I mean, units are way down. The pie is way smaller. <laughs> and I think that that leads most sentiment for people that are in the market, including lenders. That, u- that unit count just keeps dropping and dropping it and just dropping. Keeps dropping. I mean, I think what we, uh, real estate is like 19% of the economy. So, I mean, it affects a lot when that pie was shrunk as much as it is. I mean, um, that's leading most things. I believe there's a lot of people who want to sell their home. Mm-hmm. And yes, a lot of people are locked in, as they say, because of their mortgage rates. But I think also 25% of people own their homes outright and could move. I think that they are waiting on the sidelines to see what's going to happen with these mortgage interest rates or maybe the economy. 
And so I think in real estate, you can't time when people are going to buy or sell. You just have to be their go-to person when it's time to do that. So even on a yearly basis, right? You, as as a you know all commission independent contractor, wouldn't it be great to even out all your closings over a year in the amount? That's unrealistic. And so if we're in this for the long term, mm. you might not sell as much in 2023. And is it going to happen in 2024? Really, interest rates are. <laughs> this puppet string on the market right now. Yeah, I'm, I've been kind of like envisioning the interest rate is sort of a dam that's starting to dam up a, a river, right? And so, but at some point, that river is going to start overflowing the dam um, or interest rate's going to come down, right? And we're going to start to see a crack in the dam. So I think we're, we're setting ourselves up for, and I don't know if it's next year or the year after, but I think there's going to be this flood of properties that start hitting the market. People are either going to realize, all right, rates aren't coming back down or rates are going to come down and people are going to start moving again. Sometimes I ask myself on like a 90-day rolling average, could demand be much lower than where it is right now? Right? Because afford- demand, could, demand could be lower. It, well, it could be lower, yeah. but on like a 90-day rolling average, yeah. because I realize like there could be some crazy catastrophe that yeah. happens tomorrow. And guess what? Demand is zero for yeah. a week, right? Uh, but- people still do have to move. And we're seeing mm-hmm. that now. And even people, people are getting are, out of college. They still get to find a place to live. People are still getting married and want to buy their first home. Having babies. Huh. People are getting divorced. People are still buying, period. It's just, I find, they see the days on market are climbing up. And in a buyer's mind, unless, you know, especially if they've been shopping for a long time and waiting and waiting, thinking rates are going to do whatever and they've just gone up. They think that if days on market is over 20 days, just based on the past two years, that the house should be free. Mm-hmm. They should be able to write a low ball and cinch it up. Seller's obviously not going to let go of the house for the price that low. So I feel like it's just like this delta between the mindsets of the seller and the, the buyer. The seller is oh. still thinking two years ago, too, I should be getting multiple offers, et cetera. And the primo stuff is still getting it's multiple still getting offers, offers, right? Yeah. It's just the kind of average, the kind of blah stuff, which is perfectly fine. Um, that's the stuff that's sitting a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. That's why you got to know your stats. I know. For your individual buyers and sellers, right? Well, I was just listening to the, in the car, the October meeting mm-hmm. about the showings, um, mm-hmm. you know, average showings in whatever area. So like if you're representing a seller and they're saying, oh, we haven't had anyone come through the house. What are you doing to market this house? You could say, oh, well, we've had six showings. That's four more than the average is in the market right now. Right. Because um, showing activity is still like somewhat decent in like a regular price bracket. Right. We're kind of at 2019 showing levels, which is a normal healthy market. It's a normal it's healthy still market. Like, it's still a relatively hot yeah. like market. Right. It's like we're getting out of a toxic relationship where like yeah. our expectations are all whacked up. I agree. Like, we no, just don't remember analogy. what a normal market is. It's true. And we have short memories in real estate. I mean, especially if you look at like Baltimore. So pre-pandemic not unusual for a property to be on the market in Baltimore for 30, 45, 60 days, right? And now like you go in and you show a property and it's been on the market 14 days and they want to make a $50,000 low ball. Like, mm-hmm. like you nuts? Right. <laughs> that what I deal with every day. Yeah. 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 It does deal with a property like that right now. It's yeah. listed at 550. It's been on the market two months. 
It's a multifamily, which they sit longer sometimes. Their price because <laughs> the buyer higher. pool is smaller for them. And generally, multifamily sellers in Baltimore are tired landlords. They've let some things go, especially it's so old. A lot of the areas there's structural damage. Like these things, they take longer to sell because there are issues. Um, they don't have the capital necessarily that a DC landlord has to fix these things. That's just what we tend to notice. So they take longer to sell. But so we have buyers saying, I want to offer 500. And the seller just says no. And they're like, why are you selling? saying no? You have to sell the property. And it's like, not no, necessarily. No, you don't have to sell it. Yeah. You don't have to sell like a family who has to move across the country for a job mm-hmm. or some life change or something like that. Yeah. And it's not like the property would have any issue appraising at 550. It'll appraise for whatever they pay for it. I mean, there's no inventory. There's right. things have sold. The past sales validate that price. So they don't have to sell. Like maybe they wanted to sell really bad a year ago when they could get 570600 for it. Now they'd rather just chill. It's been interesting that our prices have not really taken a hit. And that's because there's been so few inventory. Yeah, Even I mean, as right, as supply down. drops, you know, even if demand drops, the supply has dropped and that keeps prices high. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we're just now starting to see demand fall at a slightly faster rate than what listings have been falling at. <laughs> and a lot of that could be seasonal. I think I think a lot of people have the mindset, we'll wait to see till next year. Yeah. And Which isn't necessarily great. Another point you brought up in the meeting was this is a good time for buyers right now because people are backing away a little bit. This lead up to the holidays. Well, some some stats from that meeting since you're referencing it, right? October is the leading month every year for price reductions mm-hmm. from sellers. And the largest or the, the largest delta from sale price to original list price always happens in November. So those prices are it's on sale now. Buy it now. You close in November. You got the best deal of the year. Cause no matter what, in Q1, you see upward price pressure. The biggest jump of of the twelve months is going to be in Q one, for sure. For sure, we we actually saw a crazy spike in asking price the week after Labor Day, which kind of hmm. I'm looking into it a little bit much. I don't know that I have all the stats to back this up, but I think I think that sellers were eager to look for that next opportunity to put it on the market, and so there was that wave of people that were waiting that typically would have gone in the spring. We're like, let's come out, let's do it. Market's still hot from the summer, and they could were could be a, a, a lot of small small numbers problem too, right? So like, you're right. you get a few of the expensive properties come on the market in a low in inventory environment, and suddenly it skews the averages, right? Like we've got a ten million dollar listing at our brokerage, right? Like that outweighs. Um, $2,500,000 homes, right? right. Um, so that one property can skew averages. Um, you throw a bunch of them on the market, suddenly that could be that could cause a big um, spike that doesn't seem to make sense with the logic. So I got to look at the median oh. on that number. I'm a median guy now. Now it's of changed. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I will do whichever one is more favorable to the point I'm trying to prove, but... <laughs> For this Love purpose, that. I will admit that median is, median, yeah, median's a little bit better for that stat. Yeah. And I think I feel from my observations, the luxury market is still doing fine. I mean, a lot of those are cash buyers regardless, so they don't really a care. A lot of cash buyers, definitely less affected by mortgage rates. But I will say that higher end is much more affected by stock market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- I saw a number of clients that 
when the market started tanking the beginning of last year, right, and markets recovered but has not recovered as much, many of them are still on hold and will be until that little line on their portfolio gets back to where it was at the beginning of 2022. Right. Um, which could which, be years. Which, yeah, it could be a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be. I, I don't know. We're not, I mean, I'm the same way. Like my my spending is clamping down as I've watched my portfolio, like you know, shrink and shrink over the past two years. Right. Right. No more avocado toast for you. No more avocado toast. And make your coffee at home. Yeah. But that's a good point about you know cutting down on costs because brokerages are doing it too. I've seen a lot of people are getting rid of brick and mortar locations. We own ours, right? Our loans. Not all of them. Not all of them. No. So that's, you know, we don't have to worry about that. We'll just Yeah, the Park of Potomac office would be a hard one to own. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> it's a giant $20 million, um, probably more off the Class A office building. Well, that, I mean, that <laughs> that brings up a question for you guys. That's totally true what you just said, Sarah. But I think one of my main focuses over the past two years has been how do I get operating expenditures down without you guys noticing yeah. and saying, hey, the water tastes funny. And so... I'm not fishing for compliments nor complaints, but no, because as know we know, you... right, every agent wants to be on a 99% split. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. We don't want to. Totally fine. We don't want to pay any money, right. but we want huge amounts of support and services. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did notice because um, I live in Baltimore. Yeah. That's no secret. It is what it is, right. and I love living there. People are always like, "Why are you in a DC brokerage?" One, I didn't know better. Russell told me to do it, so I did it. I'm just kidding. But I truly feel like the support is so amazing. Like I could call anyone. I'm genuinely friends with most people that I've met, at least in the brokerage. But I do wonder how you keep the lights on because it's expensive. Yeah. And especially with volume going down, I'm I like I think in my head, you know, do we make people pay for their own stuff? And then you worry about people leaving, going somewhere else. But mm. the same issues are happening at your compasses, your it's the only one I can think of right now, yeah. Long and Foster's, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, it's not that important personally when I was looking at brokerages. I didn't think it mattered. The split's pretty much the same. Like people change brokerages for like a minute difference in split. It just seems right. a little nuts. Um, so keeping all that the same, what do you do? Are you thinking of looking at all the subscriptions we have? I know we have some that we pay for, like Forewarn, which is great. You should use that. I, I use Yaz's account. I just have to pay Yaz to do it. But I just use a firearm carry with me instead. <laughs> See, <laughs> cutting that out. Just kidding. <laughs> we'll probably edit that part out. It's uh, legal yeah. for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many expenses in my mind. The CRM, for example. So at properties. Mm -hmm. So before the at properties, I forget. Were we paying per? Agent, we didn't have a CRM before, did we? Correct. Yeah. We did not have a oh. we didn't have a company CRM. So, does joining with someone like App Properties help with kind of that overhead a little bit? It it should, and it okay. it does. It is helping. Um, there's a lot of stuff we can lean on them for, and I, look, they have like I think 40 engineers on staff. I I can't do that. You know, we have we had one engineer on staff. I kind of like moved around that role, and they weren't even. Didn't even go to school for that, but <laughs> yeah. did similar stuff. So I think tapping into that has been helpful. And I sold my yacht. Oh, just no. Just kidding. Thoughts no. And, and brokerage. And so agents <laughs> don't realize this. I realize this. is Brokerage is actually a very thin margin business, right? Uh, and so many brokerages. Which I wouldn't have known unless. Yeah. 
Many brokerages actually operate at a loss and use it as a feeder business for other businesses that they own that are profitable, like mortgage and title, for instance, right? There's a number of, number of very large brokerages that lose money on the brokerage side. That is true. That is true. I think we have to, you have to be creative in different ways like that. It's, um, you, you need ancillary services sometimes to make up for some of the losses you take on the other side. I mean, there's so many little things that we found to, but, but I will say every time we, I find, you know, money in the couch, I put it my goes head out up and I'm like, else. oh, great. Now that comes through or like, you know, it, yeah, I never really feel like I get ahead, but we're constantly making progress on that without, it was just important. We didn't want to strip services. We didn't want agents to, I want to hear agents from other brokerages say, not the same over here anymore. And I want agents at our firm to say, really? I don't know what's going on at Arlet. Seems like it's getting better over there. You know, I or, haven't noticed a difference. Or we're opening new offices and not shuttering off. We did, I mean, in the last year. Right, because a lot of the big brokerages are in uh, consolidation mode right now. They're closing two or three offices and pushing everyone to you know one singular location. But part of that, too, is the, right, the, the brokerage I'm thinking of in the 80s, their goal was to literally have like an office on every corner in the major, um, uh, all the major squares and yeah. locations. Um, yeah, that's not feasible. Got to run yeah. out that English basement on the O Street property. I know. I've been telling you. We might have to move towards that. They see the issue is they don't have an investor's well, mindset, Russell. Well, I, I as a we got as you a, as a combination agent investor, I feel what he says about as soon as you have well, found money, it goes yeah. out the door. Like I had a, I had a pretty good August, made a lot of money. And then I had three HVACs go out that cost me 20 grand. <laughs> there you go. Um, so it was like, as soon as I had some money, it's just gone. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Same thing with brokerage. Um, but yeah, finding out what you guys care about too is important. Like what, what do you, I, I mean, I run my HOA and I will tell you, my community doesn't care about a damn thing except for landscaping. <laughs> there could be, you know, a sinkhole in the middle of the street and they don't care, but if there's new flowers out there. And so now as a board, we're just like, put all the budget into landscaping. They just need perspective. Send, do a mission trip up to Baltimore to come visit me. I'll, take, I'll show them what to worry <laughs> send, about. Send all the homes up to, homeowners up there. Yeah. I feel bad though about HOAs and landscaping because I feel like that's what my HOA board's always doing is like changing landscapers to try to do more landscaping. And I'm like, none of us care, or at least I think, and I don't care about the trees and the plants at all. I mean, I care a little bit, but there's way bigger stuff yeah. to deal with and nobody cares. <laughs> and if they do care, if somebody complains, this isn't an HOA talk, but they can so, sell their house. Well, if they complain to us, we just say, oh my gosh, you're so right. You should join the board. We're all trying to like get off, but yeah. we can't find anybody else that'll do the work. Yeah. One of the things I'm annoyed about, so my, um, my HOA just raised our fees and then um, this is like uh, maybe 60 days ago. And then yesterday I see the HOA president's home coming the coming soon. Oh. <laughs> I was like, she raised her fees. Now she's yeah, leaving. Like, yeah. Didn't your arm reset too? It's a bad year yeah, for you. Yeah, my arm reset. And, <laughs> Damn, Russell. Yeah. Russell's going to have to sleep at the office. I know. <laughs> he needs that basement. Luckily, a, it has, luckily it had a cap on how far it could rise. So, yeah. Well, I feel like a lot of agents are leaving the business. I see that too. 
So yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. GCAR, our local realtor association, our membership is down almost 6% on the year. And surrounding associations are, you know, 5 to 7% down on the year. But those are the people that left when they already paid for that year's worth of dues. So it's more than likely actually not people dropping out. It's less because rates so is an 87% churn rate. So 87% of people fail out of the business for every year. So it's it's not really that they've left. It's that there's less signups to replace the already exiting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people are not coming back into the business as, you know, sort of we get our normal dropouts, but less are coming in to fill those positions. But don't you think we'll see a larger dropout? So I think... For GCAR, our association dues are due at the end of November, I believe. And so I'll be very curious to see what the drop-off in renewals is. I think it's going to be substantial. Because they're substantial dues, 800 bucks. No one's going to pay that if they don't see themselves staying in the business. On the topic of GCAR, let me just say, I saw that uh, the election email come out today. Yeah. Those things make me proud. Yeah, we get get a number of— Russell's going to be secretary. Yes. Russell's going to be secretary of GCAR. We've got our buddy Bruce running for the board. Bruce running for the board. Nelson, Chris will be Wednesday president. For board. Well, he's not one of ours, is he? He's on GCAR YPN with me. No, but I we're can saying, still be proud. Yeah, totally. Proud no, we're, look, we're proud of all. We like. Of them. We like other GCAR is Arla studded. Yeah, there are so many yes. Arla people. Yeah. The rookie of the year, right here. In I our gave presence. Arla a shout out in my little awkward speech. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, the Samo last year at the thing, Monique's sound was turned off. So right. hopefully the same thing happens this year. No, I hope, I <laughs> and hope we get to hear it. For our local association and one of our state associations, Arlo's going to have the president on both. That's Stacey right. Barton for D.C. and Chris Arana for the uh, local. So that's pretty, pretty cool timing that they've uh, ascended to the presidency together. It's very cool. I, I think it's uh, – I'm not complimenting myself. I think it's a testament to the brokerage overall um, – I think we we care we take real estate a lot more seriously than a lot of other brokerages, and that is evident in how much involvement we have in the associations and the industry. Yeah, lots of involvement, also high productivity per agent. Yeah, right. Um, at least the way I I measure, I think we're in the top three. Washington Fine Properties blows everyone out of the water. But I think it's usually us and Compass battling for the second and third spots. I don't know those stats, but I'll take it. I want it. Washington Fine Properties is a spot smaller. They are smaller. Yeah, and the average price point's just like triple what the, you know, the median is for the metro area. Yeah. Love that. That's exciting. But I feel like it's a different, you're right, different like tranche of yeah, I mean, you, you have a lot more people selling $15 million homes, right? So, like, it may be the only thing that they sell in the year is one of those. Like, they can compete with Hyder. Oh. They're not even close. Forget about it. I think Hyder yeah. has, like, 4 million followers. Something. Oh, yeah, yeah. He kills it. His social media is great. I love watching it. So, see, that, and that support we get through Arla, too, is social media stuff. I think it speaks a lot as a newer agent. Like, obviously, you've been a mentor the last two years. And I haven't done a formal mentorship with Arla, but mm-hmm. everyone I know there I can call right. and ask a question, which is huge being up by myself in Baltimore too, that I have people I can call because I don't have a place I can go to right. in person up there. Yeah, you don't really want to leave your house in Baltimore anyways, right? Russell, <laughs> Canton is a beautiful neighborhood. <laughs> I hear. it's. I love living there. Yeah. There's nothing it's wrong with great. living there. It's just your commute over here sometimes it's, sucks, but it's, but, And I'm going to... 
it's worth it, especially going to Chevy Chase office. I love going there because if I have a question, I just have to get up and find Kathleen Ryan or yeah. or Yaz. That you know, we should have a national Yaz holiday because she always has what I need, whatever it is. <laughs> she's great. She's, she's staff, but not treasure. staff. You know, she's 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 the bone marrow, the tendons. <laughs> <laughs> also, someone who's there every day. At least during work hours. So yeah, I think she's there every time I go in there. I yeah. go in there about once a week. She objectively works much harder than us. <laughs> objectively, mm. I don't know. Are you hearing this, Trey? <laughs> oh, definitely outworks Trey for sure. <laughs> 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 no, she's awesome. I mean, everyone is. Everyone's super nice, and I think that uh, I haven't noticed a difference. Well, in- when you come out to this side of town for the day, I mean, you have like a million people to work with and hang out with. And I mean, the camaraderie's good. I never see you feeling lonely or like twiddling your thumbs or anything. I'm incapable of like, no, I, I distract people. It's bad. Yeah. Sometimes that is one like of close the, their door and be like, don't come in. That is one of the bad sides, right, of going into a brokerage office is uh, it can send your productivity really, really low. <laughs> well, that's anywhere where your friends are. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I feel like I've been into other brokerage offices like to visit with people and it's like quiet. Yeah. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Well, I mean, you should have a quiet area at the office Ew, that you no. could go to, no, but, no but you should also be able to collaborate with a bunch of people and run yeah. into them there. I think that's the environment we want. Have you been to the Arlington office recently? I did for the sales meeting. It's very nice. Yeah. That office is, I can't get work done there. They it's fly. too open because it's just an yeah. open space. And yeah. it's all, it's, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of laughing and fun stuff going on there, which is good. It's but those girls. <laughs> They're always in there having There's fun. Just the whole group of every time I go in there, I'm happy to see him, but I wonder how Marcus gets through a day and gets so much done because he does a lot, but he's yeah. at an open desk with everybody talking to him. So kudos yeah. to Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. My, mo- my most productive days is when I'm in here in this office alone, just clamped on for six hours and do work. Yeah. I would prefer the home office. I, I work at, Chevy Chase and Logan a lot. I go to meetings at other places, but I'll do like the busy work there. But I also get up. I get up really early. That's when I can get work done. How early are you getting up? 4.30. Wow. Yeah. I'm not like Mark Wahlberg or anything. But <laughs> at 3.30. I'm like programmed to do it. I don't need an alarm to do it. But I also go to bed so early. So it's not. How hmm. early? I mean, I'm asleep by nine. That's insane. Yeah. So don't don't call me. You have kids, time. though. They're not, like, annoying you past eight. He goes to bed at nine. So, like, a lot of times I, if I'm awake, I put him to bed, and I'm, then I go right to bed. I think I went to crazy. bed at 2 a.m. last night. That's, I, I, I go to bed early, too, but not nine. That's crazy, because I get up, like, five. What good is happening at 1030? What are all, you doing? All your past thoughts. They come to greet you with open arms. All your regrets. <laughs> they just want to talk. That's you. That, 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 no, that's... I think most people, I think the scariest come at night and you just stare at the ceiling and you're like, I shouldn't have said that back in the seventh grade. My whole life would have turned out different. So for me, it's not unusual for me to like uh, type out a bunch of emails like at 11 or 12 o'clock. Um, and so like they'll be there in the morning when people get in and check their emails. But I'm always surprised at the people that like email me back at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> They're dealing with the scary thoughts too. I think a lot of people like are night owls by nature. Yeah. My brain just turns. At, yours is probably mine's good in the morning, <laughs> like till noon, afternoon. It kind of just like doing the podcast at two p.m. is wild for me. I just have to kind of like draw up. Well, who scheduled this? 
well, you sent us like three time slots. They were I, all in the afternoon. Oh, that was Elise. <laughs> I mean, we always do them in the afternoon anyway. Okay. But. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I feel sharp in the mornings by like three o'clock. I'm like, don't yeah. ask me to solve any problems. It's probably not happening. Yeah, for me, 12 to five, that's like my optimal working times. All right. Russell's on fire right now. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys even connect? Bigger pockets. Uh, yeah, bigger pockets. Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Sarah's making really cool uh IG videos rehabbing her house. Yeah. That was before becoming a realtor. I was oh. working at Zillow. How nuts is oh, that? Oh, really? I was working um in data for the offers program. Okay. I signed an NDA, but I don't really care anymore because it's been two years. Is that yeah. a thing? Is there a limitation? No, anyway, even NDAs are like kind of going by the wayside. Yeah, no anyways. one cares what me has, what I, little me has to say. So, <laughs> offers program, you know. Yeah. And I loved reading about this afterwards because everyone was like, "Oh my God, Zillow's flipping houses." They weren't flipping houses. They were literally buying a house, fixing, painting a little bit. They weren't changing the systems, nothing big, and then reselling them at a profit. We know that didn't turn out massive. Right. Losses. They lost millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So me and like hundreds of other data people were developing what we thought was the fair price, the algorithm, the Zestimate mm -hmm. to pay for these houses. And literally everyone at some point, myself included, I was only there for a few months because we know what happened. They shut down the whole program. Um, we're raising our hands and saying, these numbers aren't good. Yeah. Please override them. Don't pay this for this house. They're, oh, the machine knows better than you guys. <laughs> right. And we saw what happened five months later. Interesting. Best severance package of my life. I worked there for three months and I got six months of severance and like a bunch of other cool bennies. And that was what triggered me to become an agent. Cause I was like, I got six nice. months yeah. expenses. I had already had the background in commercial and underwriting and stuff. So I think we had, we, I saw you at a bigger pockets conference or something. And, oh, yeah. and then like a few weeks later, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to become an agent. And those in New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good match. It's a odd couple, but yeah. I think you guys are a great fit together. Yeah, and I'm trying to branch out. And we talk about changing. Like, you're very good with the investors. He's very data, mm -hmm. you know, very good at explaining investor stuff. I want to do a little bit more regular buyers, too. That's why I love Arla, because I have those other mentorships with people who are doing the standard first-time home buyers and right. stuff, too. And Russell can do the standard buyer and seller thing, too. He's just he, Oh, he can, but, like, the, the lead generation is completely different. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different business model. And I think a hybrid for me is because I'm a lot more in-person people talking, you know, yeah. to people. Not that you're a recluse, but... No, I hate talking to people. Yeah, okay. Well, you said it. Not <laughs> I'm a, very much an introvert, right? So yeah. I use social media to cover the fact that I'm an introvert and don't want to talk to strangers, right? So... Yeah. And that's a good mentorship is like we I know what my strengths are. And you were the one who told me you need to identify your strengths. And Molly, I think, said, said this on the panel last week, too. Identifying your strengths and then going full speed ahead with those. Yeah. Not hiding your – well, hiding your weaknesses. Yeah. yeah, too many people when you do a SWOT analysis – try to tell you to improve your weaknesses and sort of ignore your strengths because of your strength. And you shouldn't. You should be 10xing your strengths and not trying to improve your weaknesses because it's, it's so substantially harder to improve the weaknesses than just double down on your strengths. Hire people who are good at your weaknesses. Yeah. Right. There you go. And that's probably a key of, of scaling a business and brokerage too. That is, yeah, that's true. Or just knowing who's accountable for what. I think we focus on that a lot on staff. 
Do you think you're a natural, like, born leader of people, like staff, or is that something you had to learn? I don't, I don't know that I, I I guess now I think I'm probably natural at it. Not that I'm the best at it. I love doing it. And I think that that shows. And I was like tapped on the shoulder. I never thought I was going to do any type of leadership thing. I was asked to manage an office and was like, what? Me? And really got into that. And then I wanted to just do more and more leadership type stuff. So now I've embraced it. I'm really into it learning more but yeah so it might have been there naturally but i had to water it i think yeah it doesn't come supernaturally growing pains a little bit it's hard to relinquish control too of aspects of your business i feel like that that's the hardest thing in business to do yeah yeah not so much. Well, you're at the point now where like you would just like collapse if you didn't have the people doing the things that they're oh, doing. Oh, totally. So. Yeah. I don't think I can make it through a day without yeah. our support staff doing what they do. So let me ask you this. So yesterday, class action lawsuit, NAR versus whoever these people are, mm-hmm. and Keller Williams versus them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, first day in court was yesterday. They're doing jury selection this week. Any, ba- any uh, thoughts on the the trial or hmm gotta be careful with whatever i say on yeah this. just make sure it's not an antitrust violation well it definitely won't <laughs> be that um i you know i think that like we have been saying at from leadership at arla i think that consumers very much value what we provide for them and that they think we're more than worth it and i'm not surprised that people from outside the industry are trying to attack that. Mm -hmm. And so through due process, there will likely be a new world. And honestly, I welcome whatever comes from it. Just wish they weren't settling because... No, I wish that they were settling. Why? Well, because you might have protections. The settlement amount, so REMAX is settled and anywhere real estate is settled. And their settlement amounts have been $55 million and $85 million, which... For anywhere, anywhere is $85 million and is an incredibly small drop in the hat. Um, for for being the biggest player for, in the industry. Right. And so Remax, the yeah. damages on those work out to those two combined less than $5 per consumer. But doesn't that set the precedent, precedent that these cases will just keep popping up? No, because the settlements that they have are going to be nationally certified settlements, so there cannot be any copycat lawsuits. Okay, because I feel like most of the, the plaintiffs here are like professional plaintiffs. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they actually, they target an area in Missouri as all class action lawsuits target this area in Missouri because mm-hmm. it's really easy to get people to sign on to be plaintiffs in class action lawsuits. So like 90% of class action lawsuits emanate from Missouri. <laughs> Um, they all bizarre. watched Aaron Brockovich and thought yeah. they could really get away with <laughs> yeah. it. So right. what it what it boils down to though is those settlements that they've already had with those two companies is less than five dollars to the consumer, right? And so I think that it just make it, to me it's a no brainer. I think NAR and Home Services America and KW should settle as well for incredibly low amounts of money just to put this behind us. Um, what well, do you think the new the new policy? Because we're going to have to come up with a new something. I think, honestly, I think the policies is is going to be what you're supposed to already be doing is explaining to your clients 
how you get paid. And the problem is that most agents don't actually explain to their clients how they get paid. Um, it could be argued that lots of things, I mean, that should obviously be being expli- like explained to the client. Most of my clients ask if they don't know. Yeah. I think we're spoiled with investors, like investors know because they've been through it yeah. a few times. But there's plenty of things in a You don't read every single line. No, it, it, agreed. You don't read everything through there. But the problem is that people have been not explaining it or really sort of fibbing when they say, well, you're not really paying my services for free. Well, no. Who all Every single dollar in a transaction comes from the buyer. It's their money. Mm-hmm. Right. They're the ones paying you. Right? They're just not – so they're – and then part of the problem is the agent doesn't understand it themselves. Right. Um, so you're you're asking a person who's not been trained very well in their job, in many cases, who doesn't understand how they're getting paid, then to explain it to their clients, and that's the problem. But so I, I think ultimately, if we did just settle, because um, that's all anywhere in Remax has agreed to is to better educate the consumers, right? Right. Um, they're not saying they're. There's this big seismic shift in the structure. Because now we've seen the terms of the settlement, and it's not – it isn't a seismic shift. It really is like what Russell said. But by fighting the lawsuit, there could be an unpredictable seismic shift. And if it's unpredictable, we don't know if it will be good or bad, catastrophic. And that's why it just makes sense to me. um, Settle for these low amounts of money. Get it behind us. Um, if NAR settled for, I'm just making up a number, $100 million, they could raise that with a simple $75 special assessment to each member, right? That'd be nothing. Right. If there's um, any left. <laughs> yeah, there will be. Yeah. There, there will be. Anyways, yeah. I, I mostly I brought that up because I know that there's a number of NAR directors that listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just hint, don't. hint, hint. Yeah. I think a lot of agents fear is having to be compensated directly from the buyer because that would just, I mean, come on, how do you do that? That would be a nightmare like they do in New York. You just, uh, not that hard. Well, but also with affordability where it's at right now, it's Possibly. it's not that easy. You yeah. know, it's a, we want to make sure that people can purchase homes and that seems like a pretty big hurdle and we right want to now. make sure everyone can be represented, not just the rich, right? We want the middle class, the poor, everyone to be able to be properly represented in their transaction if if they so choose, right? They don't have to choose representation. But right. most people, as we know, right, uh, the average person is clueless when they go to buy a house and they are scared and they're scared of everything in the transaction, right? So um, – most people, not everyone, but most people need representation to get this done. Um, oh, I think so. I mean, a lot of times when there's a party that's not represented in the transaction, we that's know where the we lawsuits arise from. Yeah, yeah. Well, and in those cases, you know, it's not that there's a, it's not a zero sum win win, but you can see that one person got more of what they wanted than the other person who wasn't represented. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, anyways, I think that uh, kind of brings our conversation to a close. Thanks for coming on, Justin, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts.